Hello and welcome to the Atelier Forum podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Bauman, and in this episode, I'm welcoming an absolutely incredible artist. His name is Carlo Russo, and he's quite literally one of the best still life painters that I know. Carlo is a true professional in the very specific sense of the word. He's been showing in galleries for decades, and in my personal opinion, has an impeccably consistent work ethic. Now that may sound like I'm damning with faint praise, but let me tell you that I think it is one of the most important qualities that you can have as an artist if you intend to make it in what is an incredibly competitive market. Anyway, that's enough for this intro. Let's get into my conversation with Carlo Russo. The the uh, the placid sort of calmness that you project here about your current state of affairs reminds me so much of the placid calm that I find in all of your paintings. Oh, uh, in fact, I was doing some pre-show research and I. You know, I do this for everybody that comes on, like I'll spend a couple hours just Googling and kind of going down rabbit holes, trying to find out something I might not know about the person already. And yeah. I saw something I hadn't seen before. I hadn't seen any artists do this, but on your website, there's a chronological, I don't know, not posts exactly, but there's a chronology of your yeah. paintings per annum. So like yeah. in 2016, there's a group of 10 paintings, 2017, there's 12 paintings. Yeah. I have a, a lot of curiosity about this. One, are those abridged or or is that like categorically what you produce during those years? I'd say the later years, like more current, it's, it's pretty much all there aside from like, you know, demos and little, little things like that. It's pretty much, mm -hmm. you know, all, all what you're seeing going back, uh, definitely abridged, you know, I, I, there were paintings, um, lots of paintings in fact that i didn't include in my collection either because i didn't have proper photos of them or because i feel like they weren't up to my standards maybe now um or or just other reasons maybe you know it, it you know it's funny why, why i do that i've always been sort of like um yeah like when i was a kid like i always had real immaculate toys like my toys were in great great condition you know i had all the accessories and they're all you know, organized and, and, and kept really well. And I feel like this is maybe some extension of that. Like I don't have the physical paintings anymore, but I have the record of them. And so like, I, it's, it's a way for me to sort of, you know, document and, and track sort of how my work um, has evolved and, and my output over the years. And I, I don't know, there's something I, I find satisfying about starting a new year and putting out all my work. And, you know, I do the same standard format, you know, the, size the title and the you know the inches and and you know what where whether it's in a private collection or not and um mm. so uh that that's just been my there's something about it I, I just enjoy cataloging that i get i get the the feeling looking at them that i mean by the way you won't be alone if i accuse you of this but uh but that you're very much like kind of a creature of habit and by, by habit i mean kind of routine by the way, because this is also reflected in when you look at the work, the quality of it is, is profoundly consistent. In that, of course, you know, year to year, obviously, you you notice that there's growth and there's experimentation being made, but they're all, as you say, kind of pushed up to this to this standard. So, one of the things I'm curious about: what is something when you look at your your career that you spent, the time that you spent painting? What is something that you've done consistently? That, uh, that has led to success or even small small victories or, or however you want to consider oh, it? Boy. Good questions. I mean, well, collecting one, I, I love to collect and I feel like, you know, collecting has been part of who I am and what goes into my art. So, you know, I, I, I collect 
I collect th interesting things that I feel like they resonate with me and I feel like they resonate with my audience somehow. I think one thing I would say is, maybe this isn't quite what you're asking, but I think it's it's helped me a lot is never getting too comfortable with what I do. You know, like you like you were commenting, you, you, you see my work and you see this this consistency over, you know, a period of time. Like I'm never, I've never been closed off to evolving my process. And, you know, I have evolved my process a number of times, you know, through that chronology that you see, you know, working with different materials and brushes and colors and, and, you know, that's been sort of this ongoing thing. So, and I think it's made me just a better painter over the years. Like, you know, mm -hmm. what I'm doing now, I just feel like there's just something a little bit better than what I was doing like five years ago. So I, I guess maybe just my, my ability to um, keep trying new things and take, you know, take growth where I can. I don't know if that answers what you're asking. But. <laughs> you, I want to go back briefly to, to something you said um, just now. You're talking about collecting. You said this is something that, that really piqued my curiosity. So do you collect things that in some way resonate with you? If you could maybe break down that resonance, is it from a content perspective in that the things from the sea may resonate with you or is it, or is it more technical in terms of the formal opportunities that it, it proposes, uh, be it in color, shape, design, value, et cetera? Probably a little bit of both. Um, uh, again, this might go back to my, um, my collecting as a kid, but, you know, collecting toys and other things, keeping them really like, you know, in pristine condition and organized. And, you know, that's how I keep my collection now. Like it's all on my shelf. And, you know, I just, sometimes it's something simple, like, you know, I'm scanning like a, an auction site. Oh, you know, that piece of uh, earthware looks incredible. That earthenware jug or something looks, look at the pattern on that, or look at the, you know, the patina or something. So it could be something just like that, you know, that, that catches me. Um, and, you know, other, other times, you know, there's, there's something, you know, a little bit more personal or meaningful to it. Things I've inherited from my family, uh, for instance, like shells and things from the sea, coral. Recently, I got a, uh, I got a, a legit, like human skull, um, mm -hmm. you know, and it's been, you know, just looking at it and, you know, you look at the skull and you just, <laughs> it's really hard not to, uh, you start, you know, to think about your own, your own mortality and your own, your own timeline. And, um, mm -hmm. it's been working its way into, uh, my paintings quite a bit in, you know, in the last, uh, six or nine months, you know, this collecting, uh, this urge, this, um, you know, uh, experience where you, you see something and it kind of catches you. How did that sort of express itself when you were a kid? I mean, I would imagine, like I collected, uh, and, and it's actually weirdly been a lifelong thing as well, yeah. uh, just little stones. I've always yeah. been just kind of fascinated by these little, it's like little micro worlds uh, mm -hmm. inside them. They're all like totally unique and different. You know, were you a kid that had like 10 boxes of like just stuff that he'd picked up from X, Y, and Z places, like in your room um... or? Not so much that it was like, um, you know, I had little action figures, um, mm -hmm. you know, GI Joe's I had Matchbox, you know, and I had all these, all these, you know, I had like games and, you know, all these different little things that you collect over the years. Um, mm -hmm. you know, when you're still at the age of collecting toys, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old, whatever, 
you know, I, I definitely was into like action figures. I love my little action figures and they had like little accessories and, you know, that was like probably my favorite thing. And I had, so I had all these action figures and they're all, you know, each had their little weapon or backpack or whatever they had. And I remember, you know, I'd go to the store with my mom or something and, and she would take me through and, I'd, you know, I'd scan the aisle looking for this one particular action figure I didn't have. That was, that was like part of my childhood, like going to like toy. I don't know. Did, did you ever go to Toys R Us or Kitty City? As of a course. Kid? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Toys yeah. R Us. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was like a dream world. Like this, like. It really was. It really was. It was like a warehouse filled with toys to the ceiling. I mean, it was insane. I'd, mm. I'd walk in, I'd feel so small there. It was just this enormous place. I mean, it's almost like going to like, like a Lowe's or a Home Depot, except mm -hmm. with toys. I mean, that's how big the place was. And uh, mm -hmm. anyways, I'd, I'd go down these aisles and aisles of toys and I'd look for this like figure, that little action figure I didn't have or something. And um, anyway, so so now like, you know, 40 some years later, I have I just have a different passion about collecting, you know, um, mm -hmm. just different things. Um, like I said, it could be a particular like patina or mm -hmm. uh a color you know look at the color of that that you know that glaze on that jug or something like you know it, it, so it could be just a simple thing like that um that, that just kind of like catches my eye um mm -hmm. and other times like if i'm looking for something specific uh specific like i you know i like i have a still life going on right now um that i'm working on it's it's, it's sort of like you know it's in the vanitas so you know it has it has a skull and it has some old books and it has some uh some old uh, playing cards and other objects and there were things that were very uh that i knew i needed to sort of fill out this composition so i you know i at nighttime you know i, I when i have a little free time after the kids are in bed you know i hop up the computer and I'm, okay i need i need a pair of uh i need a pair of uh, bone dice for this mm -hmm. for this uh painting so that that's like another aspect of my collecting you know finding finding things that i want to compose into my my paintings and that mm -hmm. for me is i don't know why i just i think it's so fun you know <laughs> it's part of the part of the it's part of the, the the process you know yeah yeah speaking of the and by the way you mentioned earlier that i have a tremendous memory which is not true first of all but i'm gonna i'm gonna present this as if it actually is true okay when we met in jersey city all those years ago and we were walking down i think jfk to little india to get dinner i was talking to you and you mentioned a correlation between a still life composition you had made whose origins had started in metroid <laughs> yeah it's so so oh my god that's funny that is a good memory yeah so like for those of there's probably listeners who are like what what the hell is a metroid metroid is a game that i was really yeah. fond of in the 80s and 90s uh the original game was came out in nintendo in 86 but there was a a later iteration of it on super nintendo called super metroid anyway long story short <laughs> this this series was like one of my favorite series as a kid and i you know i was just thinking to myself like i, I so i was doing it i was make, i was creating some paintings and i i thought you know what if i took some of the fa my favorite levels from the game mm -hmm. take that color palette from that level and like some objects that that are kind of like go with the aesthetic of that level and what like what if i did that and kind of like mer you know merged that together and kind of like created you know a, a little composition 
So, you know, and, and when I, I think of when I'm creating compositions, like I think about, I've said this before to people, but it's, it's kind of like a, I think of it like a set design, you know, mm -hmm. so you're designing, uh, it's like a little mini stage or a set. And um, so I did uh, a few paintings sort of in that, in that theme where I was sort of like basing it off of some levels from the game. And uh, so I ended up doing like two paintings from it and no one, no one a million years would know this unless I, I mentioned it, but you know, the inspiration in terms of like what went into the painting, as far as the objects and just the general, the general color palette, that was all just taken from straight from the levels of the game. I, the, even the titles of the painting made references to the levels. The, the one painting I did, it was called Meridia, which was a level in one of the Metroid games. And, um, sort of the sandy color palette mm -hmm. with sea objects. Um, they had these little spiny creatures, which I used, I had a sea urchin for that. So that's, that's you know, an example of how, you know, I just was thinking, you know, I was just, I guess, looking for like a way to incorporate something I was fond of as a kid into mm. what I was doing now. <laughs> it's one of my, honestly, my favorite stories about, yeah. inspiration because the i think uh, the traveling sort of you know hive mind notion of inspiration is that it's like this very direct link to something that that exists or some experience that that was had uh, at some point and uh, I, i've just never found that to be true personally so your metroid story like really validates my feelings about inspiration is that there's this incredibly long uh, and at times totally seemingly non sequitur connection series of connections in between things that they can kind oh. of manifest in in an artwork as you as you see it at the end oh yeah i mean totally i mean it's it's just really it can come from anywhere and I, I just especially with me doing you know still life painting i think it offers you know opportunities to uh, you know do stuff like this it's it's not you know you know if i was if i i think i would have more trouble if i was like trying to paint a figure or a portrait or something how, like how would I work though I mean I could I could work things into it with a, you know take the color palette like we said but I feel like you know just with the still life is really just about the objects and um and the color and the you know the little mm. scheme that I worked up and um you know it was it was a fun little experiment and um you know maybe maybe that's something I, I'll go back to right now but I'm kind of <laughs> I've kind of like that's kind of off to the side. It's been mm. off to the side for a while. Are there any video game titles we should look out for? Like, like you know, things like we we're talking Super Mario Three or something. Was it now, you was know, an inspiration? Was a touch I, point for you? I've, I've, truth be told, I have kicked around in the past the idea of trying to incorporate really the bright, the really bright colors and the cartoony look of the Mario games into yeah. a still life. I, I've kicked that idea around. I don't know. It's it's really not where I'm at right now. Um, I, I've sort of traveled back in time with my work right now. Um, yeah. About 300 years. So um, but but if you know, if I come back um, a little bit to to, you know, the present time, I guess you could say um, present time aesthetic, I might or how about this an 80s aesthetic, I might, mm. I might dive back into like an 80s or, uh, you know, early 90s Super Mario palette, you know, bright mm -hmm. blue sky and white puffy clouds and green, green hills. You know, mm -hmm. I, it would be interesting to see what I could do with that. You know, a really vibrant, colorful, 
cartoony still life um so we'll see you know <laughs> we shall see we'll see fair enough fair enough uh so you're somebody who as far as i understand it's pretty much always maintained like that primary career as an a professional art selling artist you know and i know that there's a bit of a you teach you know a couple of students privately but you know i would say that probably the majority of what you do is is working in that in that gallery space and i'm going to ask you a question that's probably even more difficult for you to answer frankly than the last one uh because of what it requires of you in answering it but i'm curious about something that you've accomplished like that when you look at your activities and you look at your efforts a target that you were shooting for that you hit something that you feel like you've accomplished there's a lot of things i'm, I'm proud of that i've accomplished um over the years i you know having you know a dozen or actually more at this point a dozen solo shows under my belt sell pretty much you know selling out most of my work now um mm -hmm. you know um getting to just just at a point where like i feel like i have a I have like a nice um me and my my gallery that i deal with in boston and mm -hmm. um you know but they've all worked over the years to build up a nice client base for me and i feel like you know i'm i'm happy that I'm in a place now, I'm 47, where I can mostly just paint and I can, you know, um, I, I never got into this business to be rich and um, most of us are not ever going to be rich doing this mm -hmm. job. Some, some, of, some of us will get lucky, make a lot of money uh, and make really great money. Um, I, you know, I never really cared so much about that, but I, I'm happy that I can make at least a comfortable mm -hmm. living that's that means um i mean i feel like i've been grinding for that for since i stepped out of art school you know and i'm just um i'm grateful that i can do that to me that's that means i don't know i mean something to me i guess that's great that's great you by the way you handled that question with aplomb i feel like <laughs> everybody i'm gonna toss that one to is gonna fumble it immediately but it's a great <laughs> great answer <laughs> You, you mentioned the, uh, working with galleries, of course, and, and um, one of the things that I feel like should be out there more, should be much more transparent, uh, or at least talked about uh, with greater ease, is what your access point there was. How did those relationships start out? Was it networking? Was it, were you, did you go the competition route? Uh, did they find you right out of school? How did, how did those uh, begin? Yeah, great questions and, and definitely good for, uh, you know, listeners who want to get into that scene. Uh, so, um, God, so some of the first galleries I dealt with, uh, so one of them is called Fan Gallery, F-A-N, uh, Fan Gallery. He's in Philly. And I, I did, you know, I'd say I probably did, you know, 10, 10 or almost 10 solo shows with him over the years. And um, I was introduced to him by one of my former teachers at PAFA who shows there. Mm -hmm. um, one of my former teachers, his name is Al Gurry. And he, um, he introduced me to Fred, the owner. And I, so I got hooked up with Fred, you know, shortly after I graduated, probably, mm -hmm. probably like 2005. And then I think I did my first solo show with him in 06, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one example. Um, mm -hmm. Could I ask what were like the mechanics of that relationship? So you were introduced to him, and that's one thing, right? Yeah. Uh, 
now, I mean, it may, it may, may sound like way too reductive or whatever, uh, but did he like ask for your CV? Did he, you know, did you have a drink with him? Did you go to, go to dinner? Did you visit his gallery? Like what, like what was literally the things that happened that, that manifested that, that relationship? You know, that's a good question. It was a long time ago. And I, I, I don't remember if I went to his gallery in person or if we talked on the phone, but there was basically an invitation to send, to show some work. He, I think okay. he had seen my work. My, my guess is that he had probably seen my work at the annual student exhibition at PAFA. Mm -hmm. That was always a big thing for the local gallery owners, you know, in the scene there to, you know, see the next generation of, of painters coming out of PAFA. Um, the support system tied into the annual student exhibition where you had local gallerists, people who could potentially commission works or buy works directly off you. So I did, I did a lot of that. I made a lot of contacts for my annual student exhibition. Fred and I had contact and basically I gave him a group of paintings. I think I gave him like six paintings and he sold like mm -hmm. five or six of them. Um, mm -hmm. And then that's when he invited me to do a solo show that the following mm -hmm. year. Yeah. And that, that was, that's how that came about. So, and then I did my first solo show and probably, I don't know, it may have been, uh, I don't know, it was maybe summer of 2006 or fall of mm -hmm. 2006 or something like that. And and you then, of course, you obviously expanded, you work with other galleries, as, as you've said, um, you, did you transition out of that one or away from it? Was it uh, a conscious impression that the further valuation of your work would require to go to another gallery to, to transcend to like a different level or? Well, yeah, I mean, over, you know, over the years, I've shown with a number of other people, uh, Grenning Gallery up in Sag Harbor, uh, mm -hmm. Anderson Gallery in, in Georgia. Um, mm -hmm. There's there's quite a few. Fred, you know, I did uh, over at FAN, I did, I, like I said, I think about, <laughs> you know, 10 solo shows or something with them. So it, it was mm -hmm. up there. You know, at a certain point, I, I got hooked up. It was about 10 years ago. I, I got hooked up with Sloan Merrill Gallery in Boston. Mm -hmm. And her, the owner is named Allie Ringenberg. And she used to uh, run Principal Gallery. And uh, she mm -hmm. started her own gallery. She I was one of the first people she, she contacted to start this new gallery up in Boston. And uh, so I started showing with her. You know, she's basically, you know, she's just done so well. And she's such an amazing gallerist. She does... You know, I can't say enough good things about her, but she's just, she's been amazing to work with. And she, you know, she sells incredibly well for me and she's built a great, a great, great client base for me. And the, the type of work that I'm doing now, the sad thing to say about the Philly art scene is it's just kind of, you know, it feels kind of dead, you know, the mm -hmm. Philly art gallery, the, the, the gallery scene here in Philly, mm -hmm. you know, Fred, Fred's been around a long time. He's still, he's still going and I'm sure he's still doing well. But a lot of the other galleries have closed um, and it's just not my experience is that, you know, early in my career, like I could, you know, I could make a big painting, you know, a 30 by 40 painting and sell it for a certain price point. And, you know, back then that was like a lot of money for me. Right. And, you know, now that price point would be like, you know, you know, kind of smallish painting for me. There's a, there is, I, I think just a, um, over time, you know, we're talking about, 15 years of, of your career here where you're, you know, you're doing more complex work. It's taking longer. It's, it's, it's just a, um, you have 15 years of, of experience under your belt where, you know, it may be hard to sell the kind of work in a small market like Philly that I can sell in Boston. Anyway, hopefully that would, I'm not trying to be super long winded, but, um, 
it's just a, 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 my Boston gallery is really my primary outlet. Um, she 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 has a great market for me, and I she can sell the work I want to make. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things I always struggled a little bit with in Philly was having to. Um, I felt like I had to hold myself back to some degree. Like I couldn't get I couldn't do too many you know large paintings, or I had to watch my price points. So I couldn't do anything too complicated. Like there was always a sort of like you know, um, consideration about like being practical, you know, this, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to be practical, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make work that I can't sell and, and which yeah. it makes sense, but I, so it makes what, a tremendous amount of sense. If I, I think it's, again, it's like this very opaque part of the art career that, I mean, everybody knows about, but nobody really talks about is that yeah. you have like small business considerations, you know, you yeah. can't, just because you're like leveraging like crazy you're you're putting the most valuable resource out there which is your time yeah uh, and you're doing it on speculation so if you're kind of blindly following the whim of your inspiration to see like what you'll paint how big it'll be what it'll be like where you're going to send it yeah it's a kind of low percentage play i feel like well you know and that's the funny thing that that's how i've always thought and i feel like for the the last uh since i really started just zeroing in and working with Boston, I feel like for the first time, I don't think about that anymore. Mm. Like I make the paintings I want to make. I don't, I don't give it a second thought, which is nice. So I can give, I can do lots of small paintings if I want. Like I've been doing a lot of tulips and roses the last few years and they're small and um, you know, they're nice price point, which is fine, but that's not Mm. why I'm doing them. I'm just doing them to study the, the flower, but so she's fine with taking those. And then she's also fine taking something I spend two months on and, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and she can, and she can sell all of it. So um, yeah. that's, that's why um, it's really kind of a, I feel like it's a, it's a, a certain freedom for the first time I feel in my career to just paint the things I want to paint. And the, by the way, like the whole, this is, this is not good podcasting, but the paintings of flowers themselves is ridiculous like i like at a certain point like i don't get them you know most paintings i've been painting for a long time teaching painting most paintings i kind of get it you know what i mean and i know that there's a process and if you know we really you know zoomed in you know there's things that i could understand about it but the uh, i think the level of clarity and simplicity that you use to make something look so incredibly complex kind of freaks me out a little bit well, I mean, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Um, I know as a student in particular, Dutch floral masters, you know, guys like Van Heysen and you know, painters of his time. Uh, you know, we're talking, you know, seventeenth century, early eighteenth century. Uh, they they always felt in, incomprehensible to me. Like, how can anybody paint this like absurdly? you know, monstrous bouquet of dozens and dozens of flowers, like in the most precise detail, mm. the most mm. complex arrangements. They were, they just felt completely unapproachable mm. as a student, you know, and and then, you know, like, like 15 or 17 years later, I just, it was just more like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not going to run from this anymore. I'm going to just see what I can do. You know, I feel like it's, it's a, it's a field of still life, like floral painting, right? It's just sort of like, I think of it as sort of like a subgenre of still life. Um, it, I mean, it is still life, but it's like this, this particular genre of still life. And it's, you know, there's a certain like 
it feels like there's a certain special, a specialty in it that like, you know, like for instance, what I'm trying to say is like, if you, you there's lots of portrait painters, there's lots of still life painters in history. And, you know, if I, and, but, but like, if I look at like 17th century Holland, like there's some great still life painters, there's some great genre painters, but like the number of like truly great floral painters, like it's a lot smaller. And, and part of it, I think, you know, you could also chalk it up to like, maybe, you know, the genre itself wasn't as prestigious, but I also think it's just, there's something particularly, you have to have a certain, certain desire to want to paint flowers. Um, it's just, I just think it's not the most common thing. And so anyway, I just, I just sort of had this idea like a few years back that like, if you look at today's paint, uh, today's trend in like flower painting, you know, it's, it's more geared towards like more direct flower painting, you know, it's more sort of like, you know, in the, in sort of like the realm of like Fantin Latour or someone like that, you know, it's more, more based on direct observation, painting flowers, setting, you know, set up a bouquet, you paint a mm -hmm. bouquet, you paint it sort of in a more direct way or semi-direct way. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I just thought, well, you know what, like, all right, so everybody's kind of doing that. And I and I, I did that for, you know, four or five years. And I, I just, you know, I painted all kinds of different flowers and different bouquets. And I just was like, you know what, maybe let's, let's like go in the other direction. Like everybody's kind of doing that. Let's, let's go back a ways. Let's go back a few hundred years before mm -hmm. people were doing, you know, Fantin Latour style paint, like flower paintings. But let's, let's try and like go back to what, you know, sort of the Dutch were doing and sort of work these things piecemeal, you know, over the course of weeks and months. And so it, that was really sort of my idea, just like do a little something different, try, I mean, not different in the sense of like nobody did it, but I feel like it's like kind of a, I don't wanna say not forgotten, but it's, it's maybe it's like, it feels like to some people out of fashion or something mm -hmm. like, no, you know? So I said, yeah. well, why not? Let's just, let's just- I think it might be one of those things that's too damn hard for anybody to do. <laughs> And you're like no, the only I mean, one who's uh, who spent the one. time to like crack the code, you know? Well, I just, I, you know, I started small. I kept, yeah. you know, that's what I always do when I'm doing something new, like, and it seems overwhelming, you know, I just start mm -hmm. small and I made these little eight, uh, I think they were eight by tens and just piling flowers in and overlapping them and seeing how I could get them to look like they were part of a whole, um, mm -hmm. you know, give it a sense of form, uh, you know, the whole sense of form and, and I just did a couple of those. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the next step up and I'm going to put them actually in a pot with a background and like a real mm -hmm. environment. And, and that, that, and, and once I did that, then it was like, okay, I think, you know, I kind of like get what to do here. Um, I'm not saying like, I, I would not call it, I'm comfortable or I would not call it easy in any respect. And I would not say I'm comfortable doing it, but I do it somehow I'm able to design on the fly and mm -hmm. um, which is a different way of working, like just, you know, setting up a still life, obviously. And, you know, mm -hmm. you, you paint what you see, this is just like, well, you, you don't paint what you see, you paint one flower, but you kind of just design a thing that, you know, by, by chance in some, in some cases, you know, that yeah. sounds profoundly risky. It's weird. It is. It's weird. It's weird. It's risky. Yeah. Like, like there, are, <laughs> that's a, that's a, you know, that's a perfect word. It does. It, my, my, my first full, you know, flower piece, it, it did feel really like risky. Like, dude, what am I, where am I going with this? Like, you know, you start with one flower and you have this whole thing to fill. Like, where am I even going with this? Part of that, part of what helped me overcome that is just reading a little bit about some of the Dutch painters 
and um, particularly looking at compositions. And I noticed there was a certain uh, certain templates, I guess you would say, certain templates that the Dutch used that that made sense. And I applied those sort of templates to mm -hmm. my my compositions. Anyway. Could you give me like a for instance, you know, like a like a like a use case? Yeah. Like what, what what would be one of these templates? Is it like compositional spines, like the St. Andrew's Cross or the Steel Yard or that kind of thing? No, well, not necessarily that. More about color and placement. So, like for instance, mm. uh, not 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 an absolute set in stone rule, but a very common template you would see is so not right in the center of the canvas, but usually off to the slightly to the left, and you know right above the rim of the pot, you would see the most brightly lit flowers, you know, white roses or yellow roses or a cluster of, you know, spray roses or something. So you'd have this sort of like this core bright group of flowers sort of catching the light. Mm -hmm. And then as you move away from that core group, the color of the flowers gets progressively darker. And mm -hmm. we're talking about hue. So we're talking, you know, we're starting with white and yellow sort of like off center to the left. And then you're getting you know, then you're getting, you know, yellow, your orange, your reds, your purples, mm -hmm. your blues at the outer periphery of, so, so it's a, um, one, one, one book I was reading about it, Dutch flower painting, he referred to it, the author referred to it, I, I can't remember the author's name, but he called it chiaroscuro of hue, okay, so mm -hmm. you have this changing of hue as you move away from that uh, center mass of, of brightly lit flowers. And so that was a, that was a common template. Not, not again, not totally universal, but uh, mm. some, some people totally threw that to the side and, you know, put mm -hmm. things right in the middle that were not as bright. But, uh, but that was, that was something for me that like, oh yeah, like I, that's usable. I like that. So that, mm. that was something I started applying to that helped me it helps me sort of like get gets mm -hmm. gets the painting rolling for me. How long had you been in this endeavor of trying to investigate this sort of you know high high Dutch Renaissance kind of uh, floral painting? How long had you been in that world before you started to tap into these these particular ideas or these things that you found? That's a good question. So you know, at a certain point, I got some Dutch books uh, books on Dutch. Dutch flower painting, Dutch still life, but, but particularly Dutch flower painting. And I, so I got these books and I, I, you know, I have a, I have a bookshelf full of books and I really put, I basically ignored all these other books I have. And I just, mm. I, I just grabbed like these, these few particular books. And I just, mm. every night I'd read a section or I'd, I'd read a few pages and I'd just go through the whole book and I'd look at the prints and then I'd read a little section, a little anecdote about something. And I'd read something about color or this newest phase where I've just sort of like gone back to that era. Um, I mean, I feel like I've been in that for three or four years nonstop, like I, to the exclusion of everything else. Like, you know, basically I'm, I have like about, you know, I don't know, a dozen or more books on Dutch still life. And I'm, I'm really only <laughs> looking at these books right now. And mm. I, even, even like my Instagram feed, like when I'm I, like, I'm trying to clean up my feed, even like where I'm getting rid of artists that like their work is just, it's, it's it, not that I don't find it nice, mm. but it's, it's not like related at all to what I'm yeah. doing. 
I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like taking, taking off my feet. Like, so, yeah. so I've just been sort of like honing in on this period a little bit more and, or I should say a lot more. And I just been, feel like immersed in this, this period for the last four or five years, I guess. And what was the, what was the precursor? Was the, I'm sure there wasn't like an inciting incident. Like, you know, you bumped into somebody in the street and they had tulips in their arms. They just <laughs> burst into the air. Oh, you had this realization, this moment. But what, what was there an inciting period? I, I mean, did it, was it like there were flowers around the studio? You know, like, oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll paint one of these today. Well, we, or you was know, it more pointed? There's probably a few answers to that. Um, I, I can, one thing I can definitely tell you is, you know, we live, we live, uh, like I said, a little bit south of Philadelphia now, about a half hour, uh, this town called uh, Media. Media is a suburban and rural area near us. And we have beautiful access to beautiful gardens. Um, there's two of my favorite. Uh, we have Longwood Gardens. We have uh, Chanticleer. Chanticleer was, a, it's a garden that was built by, uh, I think it was DuPont who mm -hmm. built it and, and now it's a it's a uh, garden maybe you have to get a membership to go or, or you know but but anyway it's so being around sort of just these really beautiful flowers and beautiful mm -hmm. gardens i think that's been a lot of it um you know mm -hmm. going there you know i taking the kids and we're walking around and i'm seeing you know you know dozen variety of tulips and i'm seeing you know roses and just you know anything and every flower you can think of poppies and mm. you know just the, the most beautiful flowers you can think of seeing those like you know every spring every summer every fall and mm. you know having having yeah i mean and it's very close you know 15 20 minutes i'm i'm, I'm at the garden so having access to that has been big and i think that's really um helped nurture that that interest. And then I think also, um, prior to really going in, you know, all in on sort of this flower painting thing that I'm doing now, um, been painting animals, squirrels and different little animals. And, you know, that was something also that, uh, I had, and then something I, I, I'd always seen in Dutch art, you know, little animals and mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, so that might have been like sort of a precursor, just sort of getting into that that actual period, that time that time period of art. Mm. So I don't want you to get whiplash, but I want to like take a hard left turn to yeah, something no. that uh, I notice all the time about your work, and um, I'll say that while literally everybody on Earth is uh, emphatically unique, we have to be; it's inevitable. I don't see other artists, let's say even even in the still life genre, in the same genre as you uh, have frequented for most of your career, that use color the way that you do, specifically as well as you do, <laughs> which is not to say proficiency, but the arrangements of colors seem to do more for the colors in your work than I see in, in other artists' work which can be equally naturalistic. So there's almost a feeling, I get this very intense feeling of orchestration yeah. in the way that you organize color in your paintings. And I, I don't know if there's a way that you can talk about the foundation of that or, or the genesis of that or some of your uh, well-trodden thoughts on that subject, but I'd be love to hear anything you have to say about it. Well, I mean, first off, um, you know, thank you for the, the nice comments. Uh, I. I wish I had a good answer for that one, but you know, I just think 
the compositions that you're referring to sort of and the the use of color and color palette and, and or color schemes as I, I sort of like to think about it i think it's just something that kind of developed somewhat organically i don't it's not something anybody taught me it's not something i, I read about sort of like philosophically you know and to sort of sum it up i think in a kind of a simple way i just found that too many unrelated colors or too not not unrelated but too many you know there was like I think my sort of like composition philosophy is like you know you have like two or three really like main colors in in a still life composition mm-hmm. and it could be bright colors like the, that blue I sometimes like to paint or they could be sort of like more muted colors but I always find that two or maybe three max is like what you're going to find and, and and it's not something I ever really consciously thought about, but when I go back and look at my work, I'm like, yeah, there's like, you know, you're not going to see more than like two or three main, you know, group groups of color. You you might find with those two or three main groups, like some some notes, like color notes, like a little bit of bright orange here. So like like for instance, you might have a I, I might have done a painting. I'm uh, thinking of a painting I did years ago, like shopping bags. Like the painting is basically a sort of like this browns, you know, browns and tans. I have a, and then and then a dark brown for the table, and then I have some green. I think green, uh, a green gourd and a yellow or an orange gourd. So so you know you have this group of tan and orange, which are color kind of let's say they're all in the same family, and then you have the brown, and then you have the, and this little note of green, and that's so like you know it's really like two colors plus a little note of green, right? That's one example, but you can go throughout, like if you were to just look through my my chronology of on my website, you'll find that by and large, like that is pretty much what I've always done. It's just, you know, a simple group, a simple, simple main masses of color followed by notes to give it just a little extra pop in certain spots. Um, and, but, and that's just something I think it's something or you know organic or intuitive um i feel like when i go i start to stray outside of that um i start it starts it gets like irksome you know it bothers me like mm-hmm. oh man mm-hmm. what am i doing like why do i have all these these stupid colors like here it's like so bright and distracting or it's so this is really not pleasant mm-hmm. to look at you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so it's just it's what my mind what my whatever you want to call it what my mind will allow me to do Really, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. I start to go too far away from that, something in there just was like, "Dude, what mm-hmm. are you doing? That looks like shit. stop it. Get that." So out you're like, of how to create? It seems like you're creating a safe space for you to like look and reflect and like try to feel at ease with. I get, yeah, it's something. Yeah, like if I can look and I'm not bothered by it, that's usually <laughs> a good sign. That's a great way to sort of indicate taste, you know, I mean, because it's such a, it can be such a nebulous property, like talk about having taste and developing taste and, and, and curating and, and so on. Um, but, but really, like, we're all bothered by things. <laughs> you know, if you have this, you have this stage, as you call it, you know, where you're, you're putting things up onto it, just, uh, just removing or, or not adding rather the things that, that bother you is probably a great way to kind of get down to, to what you actually feel about the visual world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think a good way to describe it. Yeah. So um, I, I'm sure there are many other artists probably feel the same exact way. It's like, 
when when does a painting not bother me or or a setup when does it not bother me and you know maybe that's a good time to stop fiddling with it you know so so carla we are we're going to we hit the hour mark i usually try to do about about an hour but we're gonna we're gonna now do something that's gonna be painful and awful and horrible uh because it's in its it's in its nascent period do you know patrick burns by any chance uh the uh, portrait painter mostly uh that rings a bell gca guy yeah, yeah, TCA. Uh, yeah, it rings a bell. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But he and I sort of theorized a series of um, a series of uh, podcast segments. This will be the second iteration of a segment called Smash or Pass. The first iteration we did with Thomas Fluharty, and he was thoroughly confused throughout throughout the entire duration of the segment. Uh, which probably made it more fun, actually, for, for both of us. Uh, all you need to know about Smash or Pass is this. If you are presented with a topic, you can either smash that topic or pass on that topic. Smash, meaning that you either appreciate or agree with yeah. what's being presented. And pass being that you think, not really. I don't agree with that. I'm not into that. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Let's do it. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Cool. All right. First topic, and, and I'm going to be very Spartan in the way that I introduce it. I don't want to prime you to either okay. smash or pass this. I want your, your, your pure reaction. Okay. So this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. Artists using the word blending when talking about painting. Blending. Um, okay. Smash or pass? <sighs> pass. Pass. Can you give me? Can you give me a definitive reason why, or is it just a vague feeling of passing? It makes you uncomfortable. Well, blending. I mean, it just seems like a boring topic. Blending. Like I couldn't think of anything more boring to talk about. Right? We blend. You. You know. You blend with a brush, and you, you know. You've sort of. I would show somebody how to do it in in one of my classes, and I don't even call it blending. I usually call it modeling. See, this, this gets, this cuts to the heart of the topic, right? Yeah. Because it's an outgrowth of something else, yeah. right? And I noticed yeah. this dichotomy. Everybody outside the industry says shading. shading. And nobody, yeah. <laughs> literally nobody inside the industry or inside academia says shading. And when you, if you did come into an atelier and say shading, it would be, it would be as if you said coloring in to describe what you're doing with a drawing, right? Yeah. So like blending is the painted version of shading. And yeah. I feel like if you walked, if you walked into Grand Central or PAF, any of these schools that are so great with, with yeah. painting, you, you started talking about how do I blend my oil paint? I think they would just, their faces would melt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, blending, when I think about blending, like I, I think about like, you know Bob Ross, and he takes he takes his fan brush, or maybe he'll take a like a three inch brush and you know do give it a swipe, you know just knock knock the edges down. Or that, that's what I you know I think about blending or something. Yeah. God bless Bob. You know, great guy. Though. <laughs> I think what did I see that like Ethan Hawke is going to play him or something in some oh, uh, man, really? upcoming biopic. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so you're that's a that's a pass on blending on the on the term blending. Sure, use term. Yeah, I'd say pass. Sure. Yeah, I th I think actually, in fact, it's like deeply subversive to start using the term shading. And I'm I'm actually I'm I'm of the contrarian breed that I that I kind of want to start saying shading about about value. You should do it. 
definitely. <laughs> Thank you for your support. Just a, in, uh, just a ruffle feathers. All right, I, I got one. This this one is also this is going to cut to the bone of the of the industry here. Are you ready? Yep. All right. The use of puns in art show titles. So let me give you a for instance, right? Yeah. You've got an art show that's all life drawing examples, studies yeah. of the model, portraits, and yeah. you call the show drawn to life. Honesty. I'm asking for honesty here. Man. I mean, you know, that's a tough one. I mean, it's <laughs> they're I get why you're doing they're doing it. You know, you know, what we do, it's a very small niche. They're trying mm -hmm. to, you know, make it interesting to people, right? So you come up with a catchy title. It might seem cheesy to us because we're, you know, this is what we do. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think just for the sake of being fair to the people who have to put on these shows, mm -hmm. you know, this is their job. They have to create interest and bring people in. I'm going to say smash. You're going to smash puns and show titles. This is this is going to be for great radio because I cannot stand it. In fact, I had one very embarrassing situation, which actually this show title is taken from where uh, someone was describing to me that the exhibition that they were curating. And I said, oh, God, I hope you're not doing some ridiculous pun. He'd already had the cards printed and everything, you know, so yeah. I, okay. I literally I felt horrible for having voiced my opinion about it. But I, I, I strongly feel that the use of, of the commonly understood lowest form of humor yeah. alongside you know, what we feel is something hopefully very serious, it always irked me. I, you know what, I, I do get it. I know I'm, I'm doing it again. I, I wanna be sympathetic to you know, people who they have to put these shows on. Like, yeah, like maybe there's a, like you could say, you know, recent charcoal drawings, Stephen Bauman. Well, but that doesn't, that maybe mm -hmm. to the general public might not be as exciting as Steve yeah. Bauman. Uh, drawn um, to charcoal. Is drawn, drawn to <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Right, you get what I'm saying though, right? Trying to you, you know what, you're being a sympathetic, inclusive guy and you're saying, hey, everybody's got a right to live and everybody's got a right to use puns in art show titles. We might think they're cheesy. I get it. And and maybe I've seen some pretty cheesy ones. Don't get me wrong. I, I would not personally name my show that. But anyway, I'll, I just... By the way, the full on like way too esoteric title is equally grating. I that's, feel like where we're like, what the hell are we even talking about here? You know, what are we talking? That's that's always a challenge. What do you like? I, I sometimes I just I don't even know what to call my show and I just do mm. recent work. Sometimes I do tie it into a theme, but sometimes I've seen really like out there titles, um, which I'm like, you know, that just seems a little too self-indulgent. I can't, I can't go down that road. Like, what, like, who do I think I am? Do, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I would feel a little bit like goofy if I, if I got um, that esoteric, but I'm, anyway, I just keep it simple usually. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Listen, you have passed with flying colors. <laughs> is the, the the second iteration of smash or pass on the atelier forum podcast uh but that is uh we're gonna wrap it up there and um yeah no that's uh great 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 stuff really appreciate your time awesome man hey thanks for having me uh it's nice to chat and good to good to connect again man it's been mm. too long that's all for the show this week. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Atelier Forum podcast. If you want to get in touch with questions about the show, you can email theatelierforum at gmail.com. And if you want to find links to Carlo and his work, 
You can check the show notes at stephenbaumanartwork.com slash podcasts slash Atelier Forum podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.